Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You wake up one day, you turn on the news, you see the turmoil, the political unrest, everything is chaotic. I'm not talking about Washington, D.C. in 2021. I'm talking about Jerusalem in the year 605 B.C. This is where the book of Daniel begins. Daniel, it's a book in the Bible, about two-thirds of the way through it, if you open it up, somewhere right about here, a book in the Old Testament. And for the next 13 weeks, we're going to be studying the book of Daniel here at Saints Peter and Paul. We're going to be opening up chapter by chapter to these words of Daniel. Parts of Daniel will be easier for us to understand than others. The first half of it are familiar, perhaps, stories that you may know very well. And the latter half of Daniel maybe get a bit more complicated. But we're going to journey through the scriptures together from now all the way through Lent, and it's going to culminate actually on Easter morning, Daniel chapter 12. And so I want to encourage you not to just be passive recipients of God's word, but to actually be actively involved studying the book of Daniel with us. So Pastor Kevin mentioned one way that you can do that through the home huddles and in, in, in continuing to engage with God's Word, but I'd also encourage you, and some of you do this, to bring a Bible with you uh, to church, to open it up as we're preaching and going through it, to jot down notes as we go along. If you're familiar with following the Bible on your phone and you want to do that and take your phone out as we go along, I won't think that you're checking your social media news feed. It's all it's all good. We have high trust here. But I want you to be engaged in God's Word, and we're going to be following Daniel for the next 13 weeks. So, let's get started. It's the year 605 B.C. Daniel is young, probably a young teenager. Let's put him somewhere around 12 or 13 years old. He's likely of a family of wealth, and nobility. He's from the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe that the kings come from, and he's living in Jerusalem, the hub of central activity for Daniel's people, the Jews. There in Jerusalem, it's the center of worship and governmental activity. Prior to Daniel's existence, about 600 years before Daniel, in the year of about 1250 B.C., that's when God's people walked into this land, this promised land. After wandering in the wilderness, after being slaves in Egypt, crossing the Jordan River and inheriting that promised land, that was about 600 years before Daniel's time. 
So in those 600 years, lots of things have happened to build up this promised land, this nation of Israel. You can think of of, of kings like David and Solomon who built vast wealth and, and constructed the temple and had a lot of prosperity and renown throughout the world. But in those 600 years, not every king was good. There were some kings that were good and some that were not so good. Some that drew drew people closer to God and some that pushed God to the side. There were a lot of prophets that rose up in those hundreds of years, calling the kings to account, saying, you got to live according to God's word, God's law. Come on back. You're, You're defiling God's house and his temple. Come on back. But too often, the kings and the people of Israel, they wanted to be just like the world. They wanted to pursue further wealth, further prosperity, further gods and alliances with other nations. That's what they wanted to do. And because of their lack of faith time and time again, God had sent prophets to the nation of Israel saying, eventually you will fall. Eventually, the city of Jerusalem will fall. And God told them, this is because I am father and you are my children and you need to be disciplined. (laughs) And so the word was clear, the scriptures are clear in the prophetic language that that the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem would fall. But a lot of people just didn't care. They didn't care. It fell on deaf ears most often. So the word had come, Jerusalem will fall at some point, but how and when it would come, nobody really knew for sure. But one day, you wake up, you turn on the news, you see the turmoil and the political unrest, and everything is chaotic. And on this day in the year 605 B.C., the new power in town, the Babylonian Empire, has come to the city of Jerusalem. They've arrived at the city of Jerusalem. This empire was the new power in town, the Babylonians. In just the last seven years, the Babylonians have risen to power They've overthrown the Assyrian Empire, which has been ruling this land for practically the last 2,000 years. We're talking kind of modern-day Iraq all the way uh, west towards the Mediterranean Sea. The Assyrians had ruled, and now the Babylonians have taken over. They've kicked out the Assyrians. They've driven the Egyptians back to Egypt. And now Nebuchadnezzar, You'll hear this name over and over. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, the new king, the new emperor of Babylon, is at the city of Jerusalem. And on this day, his plan is not for total destruction. On this day, his plan is just to take over by sheer force and power of his empire. And what he does first when he comes to Jerusalem is he captures things. First, taking items from the temple in Jerusalem, 
and bringing them to his own temple, his own place of worship, trying to prove that his gods of Babylon are more powerful than this God of Israel. And the second thing that he captures, people. This is what it says, people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And this is really where our story begins. Daniel is one of these young men, again, probably 12 or 13 years old. He's a young captive And he and three others are specifically mentioned here in chapter 1 because of their uh, importance throughout the rest of the story. So the four names that we have are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And perhaps already, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, maybe you grew up going to Sunday school or reading a children's Bible, maybe there's little bells ringing in your mind of stories like, Daniel and the lion's den, (laughs) Uh, three men and a fiery furnace. Maybe some of these things are ringing a bell. If if not, that's fine. We're going to get to it. Those are all coming in the the coming weeks. Uh, We're going to get to them, but these are the guys. These are those guys. Uh, They're young men, young teenagers of nobility, and each of them have very faith-filled names. Their parents gave them names to demonstrate who God is. Here's what each of their names mean. Daniel is a name that means God is my judge. Hananiah, that name means Yahweh has been gracious. If you don't know who Yahweh is, that's the proper name of God. Uh, It's how you say it in Hebrew. So Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael, I love this name, who is what God is. That's what that name means. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped. So these four guys and others, they're they're taken away, 700 miles away from Jerusalem to Babylon, and they're brought into Nebuchadnezzar's palace, where for the next three years, they would go through a process of frankly, brainwashing and indoctrination in the ways of the Babylonians. This is how Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do it. He wanted to get the, um, the smart kids, the wealthy kids, the noble ones, the ones who would become king, brainwash them that Babylon was great, and then maybe send them home to be his you know, new rulers in those places. So they're going to go through this three-year training program, and the first step that Babylon has in their indoctrination program is getting rid of these names totally getting them to disassociate from their former lives, and in particular, getting rid of this name of Yahweh. So they change their names, and these are the names that they are given. Daniel is called Belteshazzar. Hananiah is called Shadrach. Mishael is called Meshach, and Azariah is called Abednego. Imagine being a teenager 12, 13 years old, and this foreign army coming and taking you captive, bringing you 700 miles away from home. I can imagine if I were there, I would be, as my three-year-old likes to say, freaking out. (laughs) 
I would have been freaking out, right? Where's mom? <laughs> but then they come uh, with these big platters of food and goblets of wine straight from the king's table. And they're offering it to you. And you and your friends look at each other and you think, maybe this won't be so bad after all. Except for Daniel and his friends. This is their first test. You see, young Jewish children are, learn, are, are raised to learn the laws of Moses. They're, they're, they're raised to know what is clean and unclean food, what is strong drink and what is not strong drink. And this food has likely been sacrificed to idols, and it is food that they are not supposed to eat according to their law. So what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Well, Daniel actually stands up and he says, we're not supposed to eat this food and drink this drink. And the servant who is in charge of them says, well, I'm in charge of you, and the king is in charge of me, and I'm afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar, so if you don't eat, I'm going to get in trouble. But God works compassion and kindness in this whole situation. Daniel has this crazy idea. He says, all right, I have an idea. Why don't you let us just eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days and then at the end of 10 days, see if we look any worse off than those who are eating the king's food. Now, those of you who can't stand eating vegetables, just so you know, the Hebrew word means those things that have grown out of the ground. So perhaps grains are also acceptable, all right? So maybe they had a little bit of pasta, some linguine, I don't know. Okay, use your imagination. So uh, so they say, just give us some, some uh, vegetables for 10 days and just water and then compare and see how things are. They allow them to do this. So after 10 days, they check on them and guess what? Daniel and his friends are fatter and better off than those who had eaten the king's food. So guess what? For the next three years, for this whole training period, Daniel and his friends are able to eat food that is acceptable under their law. This doesn't mean that they're continuing to revolt and cause a revolution. Here, they're actually, they actually become model citizens, uh, model students. So for the three years, they learn the language, they learn the wisdom, they learn the literature. Daniel is able to interpret visions and dreams. And at the end of the three-year training program, they're brought before the king, and the king examines all of his students and these four young men are at the top of their class. And not just the top of their class of new captives, but they're the top of the class in comparison with all of the wise people in all the empire of Babylon. <laughs> this sets the stage for all of the rest of the story of Daniel. But maybe you're wondering... Why are we reading the book of Daniel right now? What's the point? <laughs> well, I could make a, just a simple point and say I felt like reading through the book of Daniel and preaching <laughs> through it, and I've never preached through all the book of Daniel, and so it makes sense to do it. 
That could be one reason. Uh, Another reason is in this season between Christmas and Lent, each year as a church, we've tried to uh, look at a book from the Old Testament and study it. So over the last three years, during this uh, season of the year, we looked at uh, Jonah, we've looked at Job, last year we looked at Esther, so it makes sense to look at Daniel. Uh, But even more than that, Daniel is a very timely book, and I want to give you three reasons why it's timely. Uh, One, it demonstrates Daniel's faithfulness to God in a pagan world, even when Daniel's life is being threatened. And we're going to get to stories about this later on. Uh, But just consider this. Daniel serves as an example of walking in faith even when the world could care less about your faith and your God. Daniel serves as a great example. Second, uh, the book of Daniel emphasizes that God is sovereign over all nations and all in authority. So it demonstrates that God, our God, is the one who uh, establishes empires, and he's also the one who erases empires. And he does those things to serve his purpose and his plan. So for us, In a time of political division and chaos in our country, man, this is a good reminder to us of the power and control and sovereignty that our God has over all powers and authorities on this earth. And third, the book serves as a reminder to us of the faithfulness of God to his people and his promises. I said uh, rather quickly early on that God had warned the people of Israel of their fall by the mouths of the prophets, telling them that, that they would be disciplined for their lack of faith. So this whole exile thing, this, this whole kicking out of, of captives, and, and it's gonna, actually going to get worse for Jerusalem as things go on, um, But all of this, it may look like God is abandoning his people, but he's not. He's actually being patient and kind to his people in disciplining them. And he will not, he will not turn his back. God will not turn his back on his people and his covenant promises to his people. He won't. God is always faithful to his people and his promises. I know that when we look at the state of affairs in our world, we may, like Daniel, wake up and see the chaos of our world and and feel like everything's turned upside down. And sometimes it it even feels like we've been taken hostage by it all. I don't know if you know what I'm saying by that. Sometimes it feels like we're held captive by all that's going on around us as though it feels like we don't have much to say or do uh, to participate other than being able to just sit back and watch things unfold. So what is God calling us to do as Christians in this time in our world? What are we supposed to do? We can learn a lot from Daniel. Because what do we learn from Daniel? God's calling to us is to simply be faithful to him to trust in Him and Him alone, and to obey His Word. There was another 12-year-old boy 
another 12-year-old boy in the city of Jerusalem, approximately 600 years after Daniel. His name was Jesus. We read about him in our gospel lesson today, Luke chapter 2. Jesus was 12 years old. His family went to Jerusalem, as was their custom for this festival. And while in Jerusalem, Jesus sat amongst the teachers and the authorities in the temple. He asked them questions. He gave them answers. And all of the adults and the teachers were astonished at the wisdom and understanding of this young boy. I mean, it only makes sense because we know that true wisdom comes from God. Jesus is God in the flesh, (laughs) therefore Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. Wisdom, I think it comes down to this concept of godly wisdom. Godly wisdom, living God's ways in the world. Godly wisdom, however, will often look like foolishness to the world. We're going to see stories like this play out in the book of Daniel, when Daniel and his friends, even this whole story of Daniel refusing to eat the food, might look like foolishness. Some of the other captives might have been like, no, don't say that, that's a dumb idea, (laughs) you know? But godly wisdom is what God has called us to live in, but often it will look like foolishness to the world. And actually, we see this mostly come true on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on the cross of Jesus, true wisdom actually dies. God dies there on the cross. And the world looks at that cross and they say, that's foolishness that your God would die. But we know that Jesus rose from the dead in order to defeat death. Therefore, right now, true wisdom is alive and well. And that true wisdom has spoken wisdom into your life, into your mind. You, old and young alike, some of you, Some of you are right around that age of Daniel. Young people wondering, what is my place in this world? I tell you, God is speaking His Word into your life to stand up as a person of faith in this world that could care less about God. You see, we have a God who is above all other gods. We have a king who is above all other kings. We worship a king of kings and lord of lords. Oh, Lord of lords. Oh, Lord of lords. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And the name of our king is Jesus. And his throne is bigger than any other throne. And his power far surpasses any power of this world. And his power is spoken to you by the power of the Spirit. And he is faithful to you. And he's faithful to his promises to you. This means that Jesus will always love you. That Jesus will always forgive you. That his plan for everlasting life for you will be given to you. You worship a God who can establish and erase empires. 
And that God chooses to use that power to love you, to hold you every day until life everlasting. All he asks of you is to be obedient and faithful to him. And why does he ask us to be obedient and faithful? Not just for our sake, not really just to make him happy, but in order that the world may see who he is. When you stand steadfast in your faith, despite what the world says, the world will take notice. I promise they will. We're actually going to see it play out. Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king, he will take notice. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because we're coming back next week. And next week we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. So here's your homework If you haven't read Daniel chapter 1, read Daniel chapter 1, get kind of caught up on what we talked about today, and then also read Daniel chapter 2 in preparation for next week. But I want to remind you of this. When you look at the world, don't be alarmed. It may seem that the world is upside down, but don't be afraid. Stay in God's word, pray without ceasing, be faithful to God, for he will always be faithful to you in his name.